Hello everyone and welcome to Thinking Aloud About Film. Today we are back to the Film Foundation screenings and particularly the latest one, which was a joint screening of Robert Seldmack's The Killers and the Don Siegel uh, 1964 version of The Killers, originally done for television, but released in theaters because it was too violent, and with Ronald Reagan's uh, last performance. So let's begin with the 1946, which I think is really one of the very greatest of film noirs and, and the great film. Your first impressions, Richard? Yeah, I re- really liked it. I don't, I'm not sure if I'd seen it before. I'd, I'd definitely seen the Don Siegel version before when it was shown on TV in the 80s. And yeah, it was great in a lot of ways. It's kind of, you know, archetypal film noir, you know, the style of it, the shadows, the light, the kind of the, the flashback structure, the, the kind of nihilistic view of, 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 of life. Because what I didn't realise until afterwards is that the Hemingway story is only the very beginning of the Siodmak film. So the, the scene in the, in the diner, up to the point where Burt Lancaster is, is shot, kind of 20 minutes into the film, that's the Hemingway story. And I thought the tension in that scene and the, the kind of psychological drama and kind of psychological torture that's going on was, 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 was really, really gripping. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It's a beautifully staged scene, and we have a point of comparison because you discovered that Andrei Tarkovsky and, and colleagues had done a version of the film while they were in film school in Russia, and it is an adaptation of the Hemingway story. So the Tarkovsky version seems to be an almost verbatim adaptation of the of the Hemingway story. So re- reading the Hemingway story afterwards, the English subtitles to the Tarkovsky one are pretty much word for word the Hemingway quotes, including, it should be pointed out, some pretty racist uh, language directed towards the, the cook. But anyway, it's interesting to see that the the opening of the Shilmite film is also very, very close to the story. What's different, I'd say, is that the the lead character or the central character of the Hemingway story and the Tarkovsky film is actually the young guy sitting at the diner counter. The young guy is Nick Adams, who is a kind of semi-autobiographical central figure in many of Hemingway's stories. And, and the short story, The Killers, is about him as a young man or an adolescent encountering evil for the first time is, is, is the point of it and so the, the story is all about the impact on him of meeting those killers and then meeting the man who can't be bothered to move when he knows he's going to be killed obviously the Sion Mac film then goes into a completely different direction and delves into the backstory of why this guy has been killed whereas the Hemingway story is essentially saying doesn't matter why this guy's being killed. People, you know, people kill people. It just happens, and that's interesting. Yes, I mean, visually, the whole beginning is absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's not just visually. I think as a piece of cinema, it's extraordinary because you know, basically, you see the two killers, you know, driving a car. You know, you see them coming into the diner in shadows, and then like their faces are revealed. And that's one of the things that Seald Mac does over and over again, including how we first see Burt Lancaster. Yeah, It was Burt Lancaster's first film, and he gets a fantastic star entrance. He gets you know, an incredible entrance, really, before he's a star, and maybe it's part of the reason why he became a star 
with this film, you know, which was true of, of Ava Gardner as well. Yeah, this thing of, you know, you hear his voice first. They're coming, I don't care. You know, they're going to kill you, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then he kind of, you see his face, and then he comes up to the light just as they're about to kill him. It's an extraordinary kind of introduction yeah. to a character. I, I, and what's interesting is because obviously after that he became a star, at that point he wasn't a star. So when you watch it now, because, you know, it basically Burt Lancaster is killed 20 minutes into the film, watching it at the time, when it first came out, presumably you just think, okay, this guy's, this, I don't know who this guy is, but he's just appeared and he's got killed. The, the rest of the film will be investigating that. But actually, you know, obviously the rest of the film essentially is flashbacks of how he got into that position. But you, which now, watching it now with Burt Lancaster, you're like, well, it's Burt Lancaster. Of course he's going to be the focus of the film. But at the time, you wouldn't have known that, particularly if you knew the story as well. You wouldn't know that. No, you wouldn't have known that, though he's filmed like a star. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's beautiful. He's beautifully lit. Though it's a very atypical kind of uh, Burt Lancaster role. You never think of Burt Lancaster and passivity <laughs> in the same sentence, right? And the thing about Ole is that he is meant to be this dumb lug who's given up, right? Uh, so it's kind of, it's a beautiful introduction to the film and it's a beautiful introduction to the character. Now, the background to the film is that, like you said, you have Hemingway's story and that's just the first 10 minutes of the film. You know, how do you pad it out to have a feature length film? And one of the ways that that was done is to have a kind of Orson Welles, Citizen Kane type structure, right? So that you follow up, the story is an investigative story. There's a detective, yeah, that is kind of, you know, trying to follow up on it. And you get different points of view on what happened, right? You know, what they've done to me is so much more interesting than what Hemingway does. One of the problems that I had with the Hemingway story, which is seen as a, as a model, right? It's kind of one of the most reprinted stories and so on. Uh, it's mainly dialogue, right? And it uses the N-word all the time, right? In a really incantatory fashion. And you could say, well, that is just the time, except that it's not just a word that the characters are using, but also that the narrator is using. Yes, that, yeah. that really struck me because the, for a lot of the story and the Tarkovsky film too, it's the, the killers who are saying, you know, tie the N-word up, et cetera, et cetera. And then, as you say, at certain points, the author's voice in the story you, you uses the word. And it's in, you know, in terms of, you know, when did that word become offensive? It's very interesting that it's used completely freely in this story written in the 20s in the film made in the 40s, it's not there at all. Yes, yeah. and, and, and also the portrayal of the cook in the story is is very much a kind of, you know, step and fetch it type portrayal. Mm. And that's not really the case in the film, I think. It, yes. know, he's, he's still a black cook, but he's he's a in the film, he just seems to be a cook who happens to be black. Yes. Not, not portrayed in the way he is in, in the film. In the Tarkovsky film, he is portrayed in the way he is in the story. And I guess, yes. and I think he's played by a blacked up actor, I think. I, it looks like it, yeah. One of the first flashbacks that we get in the film is uh, through Ole's first girlfriend, yeah, who is now married to the policeman, yeah, friend he grew up with, and who recounts the story of 
meeting yeah kitty collins yeah the ava gardner character i think it's worth reminding ourselves that this is also the film that made ava gardner a star mm. yeah they, and, they made some very good casting decisions yeah. with, the new, with the newcomers <laughs> in this film i mean are there other films that have managed to do that you know creates two two, two stars yeah. major stars like that and so you have two of the biggest stars in cinema history exactly launched their careers in this film which is amazing it is amazing and uh you know it's with this film that Ava Gardner became like, you know, a, a, a sex symbol of the era. The way that she's introduced is absolutely fantastic. But I think the way all of the characters are introduced is great. You know, the way it kind of moves from character to character and takes you into these various flashbacks. And as you say, it's very, it's very much like Citizen Kane in that respect. You know, the investigator who's actually, he's, he's not a detective, he's, a, he's an insurance investigator. Um, is like you know, he's largely seen from the back. He's very much a kind of non, non character really. And the other the other thing that's interesting about the investigation is nothing is at stake, um, and which brings you back to the Hemingway story because the Hemingway story ends with the realization nobody really cares why this guy's being killed. And it's the same in the film because the insurance man's boss is saying, "Do you really care? You know, we've already because essentially it's about it's about a twenty five thousand dollar insurance claim, and the the insurance manager is like, "Well, we've already." costed that in to everyone's insurance premiums and by the at, the at the end when he manages to recover some of the money it's like oh well okay that's going to take 10 cents off everyone's premiums next year who cares it's a bit more than that because the the first claim is the money that ole leaves to be made in the hotel and that i think is twenty five hundred dollars but then there is also the insurance money for the heist Yes, yeah. yeah. Which is like a quarter of a million or something. Yeah, right? yeah. So um, so it's a bit more than that. Um, one of the things that I love about, about noir, actually, uh, in general, but that is so beautifully articulated in this film, is that, you know, they're like men who die of love, right? And this film has that extraordinary scene in the hotel room where uh, Ole realizes that Kitty you know, has left him and he's about to jump out the window. Yes. Right? Which is a, such a moment of heightened melodrama like I've not seen anywhere in noir mm. where, you know, the whole thing is about being tough and it's, it's, it's quite an extraordinary scene. I mean, you know, Burt Lancaster jumping out of a window for love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that's something that probably if he was already a star, he wouldn't be doing that scene. Yeah, it's probably you know, is, is, and that's what's interesting about his casting in this is, is that you know the stakes of his character are different, and the way his character behaves is is is, is very different because he doesn't have a star image. Um, so no no one is saying no no you can't you can't do that with you know Burt Lancaster can't commit suicide you know it, it's yes it's very interesting because one of the fascinating things about uh, the film is. You know, he's a boxer, but, you know, he is also a commodity. And there's that whole, you know, beautiful scene where he loses the match and the manager is talking about, you know, how that's $10,000 down the drain, you know, and he's all beaten up, practically unconscious, taking a shower, clearly, you know, overhearing this, right? And, you know, about his career is over, his life is over, he's got no more way of making money. And it's like a, as if he didn't exist. Yeah, right. he's just kind of a piece of meat to be exactly. used. Exactly, yeah. 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 Uh, and that is one of the fascinating things about this film because 
it's almost like it reverses gender roles. So here is Kitty Collins, all feminine power, you know, unknowable and so on. And there is Burt Lancaster, you know, a beautiful hunk of meat who's almost got no defenses, which is, you know, part of the reason why he's just there waiting, waiting to be killed. Yeah. The way that the film begins, tam tam tam, like with this, you know, those iconic Mikla, Miklos Rocha uh, lines, uh, score is just beautiful. And then, of course, the song, yeah, is also the Kitty Collins sings, uh, is, is so beautiful. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and the articulation of looks, you know, that you have Burt Lancaster's girlfriend looking at him was he's memorized by, by Kitty Collins, right? Who is really self-conscious of her power. Does she ever tell the truth in the film? I don't think so. I don't <laughs> There are a couple of technically uh, astonishing scenes in the film. You know, the first is the heist itself, which is done in entirely one shot. It's just kind of beautifully uh, staged. I suppose another one is really the scenes in, what is it, the Green Cat, the nightclub, where the detective goes to meet Kitty Collins, right? But I think all of it is really beautiful. I think, uh, you know, the opening sequence, the use of mirrors and the use of, you know, the foreground and the background between the cooking spaces and the bar spaces and the mirror hanging over it. Yeah, and I think that it kept kind of creating different angles and, and you know, showing those killers in a different light and, and a it's kind of it almost extending the space. So kind of, I guess, filming with the camera on the counter and it, it, it just made for, yeah, because it's this 10 minute scene in one location, uh, but, but it con continually is shooting it in different and interesting ways. I was um, looking at uh, um, one of the introductions to the uh, Arrow DVD uh, disc by Frank uh, Krutnik. Um, and uh, he was talking about, uh, you know, how the mirror in the cafe is mentioned in the Hemingway story, but how much more Sealed Mac does. And he talks about how the reception of this, when the film first came out, the word that was most deployed, yeah, to talk about the film was absorbing, yeah, that it's an absorbing film. How do you think it compares with the 1964 version? It's a lot better than the 1964 version. The, the, the 1964 version is, is a lot more violent, a lot less subtle. So um, the, the 64 version, th there's, more, there's more of a feeling of danger in the later sequences. The, the earlier sequences don't have that. The, the, the equivalent of the scene in the bar is that Lee Marvin and, and um, his sidekick, whose name I forget, um, go to a school for the blind where the equivalent of the Burt Lancaster character, who here is John Carradine, is, is working and they kind of invade it and, and, and just beat people up. And it, it's, it's a more dangerous scene, but a less psychologically tense scene. Hmm. Um, what's interesting is for the rest of the film, rather than it being the insurance guy, investigating the killing it's actually the killers investigating they they want to know why john carradine just allowed them to kill them yes. to kill him um so it's uh, and as a result of that there's much more of a sense of threat when they go to visit the witnesses you know that they, they are 
they are physically threatening those witnesses and potentially torturing those witnesses. Um, so, th so there's there's much more of a feel of danger, but it's actually kind of less threatening because mm. I think this. And then the other, I guess, if there's a, a fault in this yard match film, it's that the, you know, these two killers, you get a real sense of threat. They're they're very dangerous. They're very scary psychologically speaking. But after the first ten minutes, you just don't see them again. <laughs> well, they've done their job. They have, uh, and that and that that is in line with the Hemingway story. That they yeah. don't matter. They're just evil. I I love the Don Siegel film. Um, I I tried seeing it in both versions, right? Because it was made for television. So yeah. you have there's a one three three version and there's a widescreen version. And yeah. Actually, I thought I thought it was very interesting because I love the widescreen version, which you know. It wasn't intended to be that yeah, way, except yeah. for you know, foreign distribution. Um, whereas the one three three version kind of feels a bit more distancing. Um, but I love it. I love Lee Marvin. I love the whole how it's very cool. Yeah, you know, uh, it's kind of minimalist and cool and harsh, with eye popping color. Kind of, I think, really interesting compositions, kind of throughout. Um, I there are things that I don't like as much. So the thing about, you know, the re I think the reason why Ava Gardner makes such a splash in the film is because she's so mysterious, and, you know, and she's so beautiful. She's filmed in such a way that just lying down, she's sexy. Yeah, there's some, yeah, there's something feline and available about her. Right. Whereas the Angie Dickinson character in the 1964 version, you're actually made to think that she has feelings for Ole. You know, in the 1946 version, she doesn't give him a thought except in terms of how he can be useful to her. Right. So I think there are things that I like. I mean, I do think that um, the 1946 version is, is a superior one. But I also think the 1964 version is great in a very different way. It's yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, it was really interesting to have the opportunity to see both of them in, in conjunction. I, I think the the '64 version, it is great. I mean, it's kind it's kind of like a sleazy '60s B movie feel to mm. it. Um, it's very sort of, you know, the ending. Every 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 everybody dies, and it, it's kind of like you know, it's like Tarantino or something in, in that respect. You know, he, he, clearly he, he he must be a big fan of that of this version. You can tell. It was made for TV. I think it's very kind of quite flat. There's sort of some of the, there's some very shonky kind of back projection scenes of the driving. The, the Shelmack version is obviously studio bound, but in an interesting way. The, some of the scenes in this one are obviously obviously studio bound. I mean, the, the scene at the racetrack, the they're obviously not actually outside. They're in they're in a studio set with some stock footage. It's clearly a remake of the earlier film rather than another version of the story because the bulk of the other than the fact that that the that Caradine is a racing driver rather than a boxer as Lancaster was, that later plot is essentially the same. I can see why it wasn't shown on TV. It's bizarrely violent for a cinema film of the time, particularly in terms of violence against women and, and who gets shot. I mean, it, it's quite mm. it's quite quite some quite shocking moments. One of the interesting things about the Film Foundation screenings is that if you go onto their page, they also have a whole bunch of supporting documents. So they have 
you know, an interview with Eddie Mueller on noir. Uh, Imogen Sarah Smith, I think, gives a great account of the film. She's really wonderful. And then Cassandra Moore talks about the restoration and, you know, Steven Spielberg coming to talk to them and talking about how the 64 version was obviously all filmed on the Universal lot and Ronald Reagan's office in the film is Lou Wasserman's office. And Lou Wasserman, you know, was like the head of MCA Universal. He's the, he started off as an agent and he was the agent for Tony Curtis and Janet Lee and everybody, the one who started putting together all these packages. And he became so powerful that they had to remove the talent agency from the studio. They had to divorce it. And he, he stayed a studio head. He's the person who brought Alfred Hitchcock into Universal. And the Ronald Reagan's office in the film is Lou Wasserman's office. Right, right. <laughs> the, I mean, Reagan's casting is really interesting. This film was, was being filmed in 1963. And the Kennedy assassination apparently was on the second day of shooting the film. Um, and of course, you have a scene in this film where someone is shot by a sniper in a tall building and the, per the sniper is Ronald Reagan, <laughs> which is <laughs> just wow. And I remember this being shown on, I, I first saw this film 1981. So Reagan was president. The BBC had shown it multiple times before this. This was the first time it was shown since, since Reagan was elected as president. And there was a lot of publicity about the fact that, you know, Reagan plays a villain and it's President Reagan, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, I think the year after that, Reagan was shot himself and then the film disappeared from TV mm. as you understand as you would expect but it was then shown again in 85 I think so it was a mm. period when it wasn't seen as uh, it was seen as a bit insensitive to show it but then eventually it was okay to show it again um, Did you think he was any good? Um, he's a pretty bad actor I think I mean it, it, he work, it, it, it works as a performance but, but I think in a way I couldn't get over the fact that I'm when he first appears, it's like, fucking hell, it's Ronald Reagan. You know, He hadn't made a film for about 10 years, while, I think, at yeah. this point. Um, he, most of what he was doing was hosting... You know, General Electric Theatre. General Electric Theatre or whatever, which he carried on, although this was his last actual acting role, he carried on hosting a show called Death Valley Days until 66, I believe. Uh, but yeah, but he hadn't really done an acting role for, for like 10 years. So there were very few Ronald Reagan acting roles where he looks anything like President Reagan in terms of age and being in, in terms of age and also being in color. <laughs> um, so, so to see him in a role where actually he's he first appears at the racetrack and it's like it's Ronnie Reagan, you know, it, it's 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 really quite odd. But he's not a very good actor. I mean, well, I couldn't get over the dye job of his hair. Yes, right? like, yeah. You know, I mean, because he looks quite old there already, and then he's got like you know this brown black hair with you know kind of not a single bit of color in it right? like, yeah, uh, yeah. and there's a there, you know there are stories about Lee Marvin who is really a great actor you know and who is very beautiful in this film I must say who would they would tease Reagan because he could do a scene 12 different ways and when they start shooting it would annoy Reagan that he didn't do it as they'd rehearsed it and so he didn't know how to respond. <laughs> plus, plus, plus Lee Marvin, a man with the confidence to be naturally grey. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and 20 years younger than Reagan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you think of John Cassavetes? Because for me, if I think of a weak point in the film, it's him. Yeah. 
he it, annoys it's, me. It, it, it's odd casting. I mean, apparently, I, was, I read somewhere that one well, after they cast him, they found out he couldn't actually drive particularly well. So that's probably why there's so much bad back projection. I mean, I often like him, but I, I do think he's so miscast in this, right? Because the whole idea is about somebody who's meant to have given up, you know, this beautiful boxer lug or sporting hero lug, you know, who doesn't have much brains, who falls for the wrong woman and so on. And the thing about Cassavetes is he's really sly and really smug and really playful and he's constantly making an impression. And yeah, actually, yeah. it has nothing to do with the character, I think, really. I was going to say as well, and I haven't actually listened to it yet because I, I kind of didn't want to colour our discussion by listening to it, but there's a Radio 3, BBC Radio 3 documentary about both versions of the film. Ah. Um, and how the, and how they came to be made and the links with Reagan's political career and stuff like that. So I'll, I'll, I'll send you a Give link. Give me the that. link. Yeah, that would be Sounds wonderful. Sounds really interesting. It's from 2017. One of the things that I love about these film foundation screenings is that they do offer all of these supporting elements and they cover the gamut, the w different ways of speaking about this film. You know, so you have like historical context and you have like production histories and you have kind of, you know, discussions of the narrative. Yeah, but also, you know, one, you have interviews with people who restored the film. And when you think of how much effort they put in to have the shadows of the ceiling in the opening scene in the diner come out just right, yeah, it makes you realize that we tend to talk about films in terms of plot or acting, Right, where so much of what goes into it is this thing of, you know, the light and the shadow and the camera movement and, you know, and the editing, right? And that, in fact, is where I think you have, like, the full greatness of the sealed Mac the Killers kind of shine through, really. The way the Film Foundation made both available, I think, was brilliant because it's, it's such an interesting contrast. Um, I think also pushing us to watch the Tarkovsky version was was very interesting. Uh, the final thing I'd mention is the writer of the 64 version is quite an interesting figure. It's G uh, G Gene Kuhn, uh -huh. who was mainly a TV writer. I guess just after this film, uh, he worked on Star Trek uh, with Gene Roddenberry, and he wrote a whole bunch of episodes and was kind of showrunner for about a year in, for the first two series. And a lot of the concepts that are still very central to Star Trek now, like you know, United Federation planets and the Klingons mm -hmm. and multiple things like this were created by Gene Kuhn rather than ah. Gene Roddenberry. So that's kind of in, a very interesting legacy. So <laughs> he's kind of, he sort of he, he died quite young. He died died in the early seventies of cancer. So it's kind of he's a bit of a forgotten figure. But but yeah, very, his his legacy is probably his Star Trek legacy is probably bigger than his legacy with the Killers. But the other thing I was going to say is I'm I was fascinated by the fact that the sixty four version. The title card that comes up is Ernest Hemingway's The Killers, mm. when there's actually nothing of Hemingway's story left in, left in the in 64 it. version, which is interesting. Yes. Uh, well, thank you all very much for, for listening. We are thinking a lot about film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.